Section 43 of A Popular History of France, Volume 5. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 5, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 43. Louis XIV, the Fronde, and the Government of Cardinal Mazarin. Part 6. Quote, at Brussels, says M. Guizot in his Histoire de la République d'Angleterre et de Cromwell, neither Don Juan nor the Marquis of Caracena would believe that Dunkirk was in danger. Being at the same time indolent and proud, they disdained the council at one time of vigilant activity and at another of prudent reserve, which was constantly given them by Condé. They would not have anybody come and rouse them during their siesta if any unforeseen incident occurred, nor allow any doubt of their success when once they were up and on horseback. They hurried away to the defence of Dunkirk, leaving behind them their artillery and a portion of their cavalry. Condé conjured them to entrench themselves whilst awaiting them. Don Juan, on the contrary, was for advancing on to the dunes and marching to meet the French army. "'You don't reflect,' said Condé, "'that ground is fit only for infantry,' and that of the French is more numerous and has seen more service. I am persuaded, replied Don Juan, that they will not ever dare to look his most Catholic Majesty's army in the face. Ah, you don't know Monsieur de Turenne. No mistake is made with impunity in the presence of such a man as that. Don Juan persisted, and in fact made his way on to the dunes. Next day, the 13th of June, Condé, more and more convinced of the danger, made fresh efforts to make him retire. Retire, cried Don Juan, if the French dare fight, this will be the finest day that ever shone on the arms of his most Catholic majesty. Very fine, certainly, answered Condé, if you give orders to retire. Turenne put an end to this disagreement in the enemy's camp. Having made up his mind to give battle on the 14th at daybreak, he sent word to the English general Lockhart by one of his officers, who wanted at the same time to explain the commander-in-chief's plan and his grounds for it. All right, answered Lockhart, I leave it to M. de Turenne. He shall tell me his reasons after the battle, if he likes. A striking contrast between the manly discipline of English good sense and the silly blindness of Spanish pride. Condé was not mistaken. The issue of a battle begun under such auspices could not be doubtful. My lord, said he to the young Duke of Gloucester, who was serving in the Spanish army by the side of his brother, the Duke of York, did you ever see a battle? No, prince. Well, then, you are going to see one lost. The Battle of the Dunes was, in fact, totally lost by the Spaniards, after four hours very hard fighting, during which the English regiments carried bravely and with heavy losses the most difficult and the best defended position. All the officers of Lockhart's regiment, except two, were killed or wounded before the end of the day. The Spanish army retired in disorder, leaving four thousand prisoners in the hands of the conqueror. The enemy came to meet us, wrote Turenne in the evening to his wife. They were beaten, God be praised. I have worked rather hard all day. I wish you good night, and am going to bed. Ten days afterwards, on the 23rd of June, 1658, the garrison of Dunkirk was exhausted. The aged governor, the Marquis of Leyden, had been mortally wounded in a sortie. The place surrendered, and the next day but one, Louis the Fourteenth entered it, but merely to hand it over at once to the English though the court and the army are in despair at the notion of letting go what he calls a rather nice morsel wrote lockhart the day before to secretary thurlow nevertheless the cardinal is staunch to his promises and seems as well satisfied at giving up this place to his highness as i am to take it the king also is extremely polite and obliging and he has in his soul more honesty than i had supposed the surrender of dunkirk was soon followed by that of gravelines and several other towns 
The great blow against the Spanish arms had been struck. Negotiations were beginning. Tranquillity reigned everywhere in France. The Parliament had caused no talk since the 20th of March, 1655, when, they having refused to enregister certain financial edicts for want of liberty of suffrage, the king, setting out from the castle of Vincennes, quote, had arrived early at the Palace of Justice, in scarlet jacket and grey hat, attended by all his court in the same costume, as if he were going to hunt the stag, which was unwanted up to that day. When he was in his bed of justice, he prohibited the Parliament from assembling, and after having said a word or two, he rose and went out, without listening to any address. Memoire de Montglas. The sovereign courts had learned to improve upon the old maxim of Matthew Mollet, quote, I am going to court, I shall tell the truth, after which the king must be obeyed. Not a tongue wagged, and obedience at length was rendered to Cardinal Mazarin, as it had but lately been to Cardinal Richelieu. The court was taking its diversion. Quote, there were plenty of fine comedies and ballets going on. The king, who danced very well, liked them extremely, says Mademoiselle de Montpensier, at that time exiled from Paris. All this did not affect me at all. I thought that I should see enough of it on my return. But my ladies were different, and nothing could equal their vexation at not being in all these gaieties. It was still worse when announcement was made of the arrival of Queen Christina of Sweden, that celebrated princess who had reigned from the time she was six years old, and had lately abdicated in 1654, in favor of her cousin Charles Gustavus, in order to regain her liberty, she said, but perhaps also because she found herself confronted by the ever-increasing opposition of the grandees of her kingdom, hostile to the foreign fashions favored by the queen, as well as to the design that was attributed to her of becoming converted to Catholicism. When Christina arrived at Paris in 1656, she had already accomplished her abjuration at Brussels, without assigning her motives for it to anybody. Quote, Those who talk of them know nothing about them, she would say, and she who knows something about them has never talked of them. There was great curiosity at Paris to see this queen. The king sent the Duke of Guise to meet her, and he wrote to one of his friends as follows, Quote, she is not tall she has a good arm a hand white and well made but rather a man's than a woman's a high shoulder a defect which she so well conceals by the singularity of her dress her walk and her gestures that you might make a bet about it her face is large without being defective all her features are the same and strongly marked a pretty tolerable turn of countenance set off by a very singular head-dress that is a man's wig very big and very much raised in front the top of the head is a tissue of hair and the back has something of a woman's style of head-dress sometimes she also wears a hat her bodice laced behind crosswise is made something like our doublets her chemise bulging out all round her petticoat which she wears rather badly fastened and not over straight she is always very much powdered with a good deal of pomade and almost never puts on gloves she has at the very least as much swagger and haughtiness as the great gustavus her father can have had she is mighty civil and coaxing speaks eight languages and principally french as if she had been born in paris she knows as much about it as all our academy and the sorbonne put together has an admirable knowledge of painting as well as of everything else and knows all the intrigues of our court better than i in fact she is quite an extraordinary person Quote, the king, though very timid at that time, says Madame de Motteville, and not at all well-informed, got on so well with this bold, well-informed, and haughty princess, that from the first moment they associated together with much freedom and pleasure on both sides. It was difficult, when you had once had a good opportunity of seeing her, and above all of listening to her, not to forgive all her irregularities, though some of them were highly blamable." 
all the court and all paris made a great fuss about this queen who insisted upon going everywhere even to the french academy where no woman had ever been admitted patru thus relates to one of his friends the story of her visit Quote, no notice was given until about eight or nine in the morning of this princess's purpose so that some of our body could not receive information in time m de gombault came without having been advertised but as soon as he knew of the queen's purpose he went away again for thou must know that he is wroth with her because he having written some verses in which he praised the great gustavus she did not write to him she who as thou knowest has written to a hundred impertinent apes i might complain with far more reason but so long as kings queens princes and princesses do me only that sort of harm i shall never complain the chancellor Siguier, at whose house the academy met had forgotten to have the portrait of this princess which she had given to the society placed in the room which in my opinion ought not to have been forgotten word was brought that the carriage was entering the courtyard the chancellor followed by the whole body went to receive the princess as soon as she entered the room she went off-hand according to her habit and sat down in her chair and at the same moment without any order given us we also sat down the princess seeing that we were at some little distance from the table told us that we could draw up close to it there was some little drawing up but not as if it were a dinner-party several pieces were read and then the director who was m de la chambre told the queen that the ordinary exercise of the society was to work at the dictionary and that if it were agreeable to her majesty a sheet should be read by all means said she m de Mezeray, accordingly read the word jeu under which amongst other proverbial expressions there was jeu de prince qui ne plaise qu'à ceux qui les font or princes jokes which amuse only those who make them she burst out laughing the word which was in fair copy was finished it would have been better to read a word which had to be weeded because then we should all have spoken but people were taken by surprise the french always are after about an hour the princess rose made a courtesy to the company and went away as she had come here is really what passed at this famous interview which no doubt does great honour to the academy the duke of anjou talks of coming to it and the zealous are quite transported with this bit of glory oeuvre diverse de patru page five twelve queen christina returned the next year and passed some time at fontainebleau it was there in a gallery that king louis philippe caused to be turned into apartments which m guizot at one time occupied that she had her first equerry mondaldeschi whom she accused of having betrayed her assassinated almost before her own eyes and she considered it astonishing and very bad taste that the court of france should be shocked at such an execution Quote, this barbarous princess says madame de motteville after so cruel an action as that remained in her room laughing and chatting as easily as she had done something of no consequence or very praiseworthy the queen-mother a perfect christian who had met with so many enemies whom she might have punished but who had received from her nothing but marks of kindness was scandalized by it the king and monsieur blamed her and the minister who was not a cruel man was astounded the queen-mother had other reasons for being less satisfied than she had been at the first trip of queen christina of sweden the young king testified much inclination for mary de mancini cardinal mazarin's niece a bold and impassioned creature whose sister olympia had already found favour in his eyes before her marriage with the count of soissons the eldest of all had married the duke of mercoeur son of the duke of vendome the other two were destined to be united at a later period to the dukes of bouillon and la Maillerie the hopes of mary went still higher relying on the love of young louis the fourteenth she dared to dream of the throne and the queen of sweden encouraged her quote, the right thing is to marry one's love she told the king 
no time was lost in letting christina understand that she could not remain long in france the cardinal quote, with a moderation for which he cannot be sufficiently commended says madame de motteville himself put obstacles in the way of his niece's ambitious designs he sent her to the convent of brouage threatening if that exile were not sufficient to leave france and take his niece with him End quote. Quote, no power, he said to the king, can wrest from me the free authority of disposal which God and the laws give me over my family. Quote, you are king, you weep, and yet I am going away, said the young girl to her royal lover, who let her go. Mary de Mancini was mistaken, he was not yet king. Cardinal Mazarin and the queen had other views regarding the marriage of Louis the Fourteenth. For a long time past the object of their labors had been to terminate the war by an alliance with Spain the infanta maria theresa was no longer heiress to the crown for king philip at last had a son spain was exhausted by long-continued efforts and dismayed by the checks received in the campaign of sixteen fifty eight the alliance of the rhine recently concluded at frankfort between the two leagues catholic and protestant confirmed immutably the advantages which the treaty of westphalia had secured to france the electors had just raised to the head of the empire young Leopold I on the death of his father, Ferdinand III, and they proposed their mediation between France and Spain. Whilst King Philip IV was still hesitating, Mazarin took a step in another direction. The king set out for Lyon, accompanied by his mother and his minister, to go and see Princess Margaret of Savoy, who had been proposed to him a long time ago as his wife. He was pleased with her, and negotiations were already pretty far advanced, to the great displeasure of the queen-mother when the cardinal on the twenty ninth of november sixteen fifty nine in the evening entered anne of austria's room quote, he found her pensive and melancholy but he was all smiles good news madame said he ah cried the queen is it to be peace more than that madame i bring your majesty both peace and the infanta the spaniards had become uneasy and don antonio di pimentel had arrived at lyons at the same time with the court of savoy bearing a letter from philip the fourth for the queen his sister the duchess of savoy had to depart and take her daughter with her disappointed of her hopes all the consolation she obtained was a written promise that the king would marry princess margaret if the marriage with the infanta were not accomplished within a year the year had not yet rolled away and the duchess of savoy had already lost every atom of illusion since the thirteenth of august cardinal mazarin had been officially negotiating with don louis diarro representing philip the fourth the ministers had held a meeting in the middle of the bidassoa on the island of pheasants where a pavilion had been erected on the boundary line between the two states on the seventh of november the peace of the pyrenees was signed at last it put an end to a war which had continued for twenty-three years often internecine always burdensome and which had ruined the finances of the two countries France was the gainer of Artois and Roussillon, and of several places in Flanders, Hainaut, and Luxembourg, and the Peace of Westphalia was recognized by Spain, to whom France restored all that she held in Catalonia and in Franche-Comté. Philip IV had refused to include Portugal in the treaty. The Infanta received as dowry five hundred thousand gold crowns, and renounced all her right to the throne of Spain the prince of conde was taken back to favour by the king and declared that he would fain redeem with his blood all the hostilities he had committed in and out of france the king restored him to all his honours and dignities gave him the government of burgundy and bestowed on his son the duke of enghien the office of grand master of france the honour of the king of spain was saved he did not abandon his allies and he made a great match for his daughter 
but the eyes of Europe were not blinded. It was France that triumphed. The policy of Cardinal Richelieu and of Cardinal Mazarin were everywhere successful. The work of Henry IV was completed. The House of Austria was humiliated and vanquished in both its branches. The man who had concluded the Peace of Westphalia and the Peace of the Pyrenees had a right to say, quote, I am more French in heart than in speech, end quote. The Prince of Condé returned to court, quote, as if he had never gone away, says Mademoiselle de Montpensier. Memoir, page 451. Quote, the king talked familiarly with him of all that he had done both in France and in Flanders, and that with as much gusto as if all those things had taken place for his service. Quote, the prince discovered him to be so great in every point that from the first moment at which he could approach him he comprehended, as it appeared, that the time had come to humble himself that genius for sovereignty and command which god had implanted in the king and which was beginning to show itself persuaded the prince of conde that all which remained of the previous reign was about to be annihilated memoir de madame de motteville page thirty nine from that day king louis the fourteenth had no more submissive subject than the great conde the court was in the south travelling from town to town pending the arrival of the dispensations from rome on the third of june sixteen sixty don louis diaro in the name of the king of france espoused the infanta in the church of fonfrabia mademoiselle de montpensier made up her mind to be present unknown to anybody at the ceremony when it was over the new queen knowing that the king's cousin was there went up to her saying quote, i should like to embrace this fair unknown end quote, and led her away to her room chatting about everything but pretending not to know her the queen-mother and king philip the fourth met next day on the island of pheasants after forty-five years separation the king had come privately to have a view of the infanta and he watched her through a door ajar towering a whole head above the courtiers quote, may i ask my niece what she thinks of this unknown said anne of austria to her brother quote, it will be time when she has passed that door replied the king young monsieur the king's brother leaned forward towards his sister-in-law and quote, what does your majesty think of this door he whispered quote, i think it very nice and handsome answered the young queen the king had thought her handsome quote, despite the ugliness of her headdress and of her clothes which had at first taken him by surprise end quote. king philip the fourth kept looking at monsieur de turenne who had accompanied the king quote, that man has given me dreadful times he repeated twice or thrice Quote, you can judge whether Monsieur de Turenne felt himself offended, says Mademoiselle de Montpensier. The definitive marriage took place at Saint-Jean-de-Luz on the ninth of June, and the court took the road leisurely back to Vincennes. Scarcely had the arrival taken place when all the sovereign bodies sent a solemn deputation to pay their respects to Cardinal Mazarin and thank him for the peace he had just concluded. It was an unprecedented honour paid to a minister upon whose head the Parliament had but lately set a price. The cardinal's triumph was as complete at home as abroad. All foes had been reduced to submission or silence, Paris and France rejoicing over the peace and the king's marriage. But like Cardinal Richelieu, Mazarin succumbed at the very pinnacle of his glory and power. The gout to which he was subject flew to his stomach, and he suffered excruciating agonies. One day, when the king came to get his advice upon a certain matter, quote, Sir, said the cardinal, you are asking counsel of a man who no longer has his reason and who raves, end quote he saw the approach of death calmly but not unregretfully concealed one day behind a curtain in the new apartments of the mazarin palace now the national library young brienne heard the cardinal coming quote, he dragged his slippers along like a man very languid and just recovering from some serious illness he paused at every step for he was very feeble 
He fixed his gaze first on one side and then on the other, and letting his eyes wander over the magnificent objects of art he had been all his life collecting, he said, "'All that must be left behind,' and turning round he added, "'And that, too, what trouble I have had to obtain all these things! I shall never see them more where I am going.'" He had himself removed to Vincennes, of which he was governor. There he continued to regulate all the affairs of state, striving to initiate the young king in the government. Quote, Nobody, Turenne used to say, works so much as the cardinal, or discovers so many expedients with great clearness of mind for the terminating of much business of different sorts. The dying minister recommended to the king Messieurs Le Tellier and de Lyonne, and he added, quote, Sir, to you I owe everything, but I consider that I to some extent acquit myself of my obligation to your majesty by giving you Monsieur Colbert. End quote. The cardinal, uneasy about the large possessions he left, had found a way of securing them to his heirs by making, during his lifetime, a gift of the whole of them to the king. Louis the Fourteenth at once returned it. The minister had lately placed his two nieces, the Princess of Conti and the Countess of Soissons, at the head of the household of two queens. He had married his niece, Hortensia Mancini, to the Duke of La Maillere, who took the title of Duke of Mazarin. The father of this duke was the relative and protégé of Cardinal Richelieu, for whom Mazarin had always preserved a feeling of great gratitude. It was to him and his wife that he left the remainder of his vast possessions, after having distributed amongst all his relatives liberal bequests to an enormous amount. The pictures and jewels went to the king, to monsieur, and to the queens. A considerable sum was employed for the foundation and endowment of the Collège des Quatre Nations, now the Palais de l'Institut intended for the education of sixty children of the four provinces reunited to france by the treaties of westphalia and the pyrenees alsace roussillon artois and pignerol the cardinal's fortune was estimated at fifty millions mazarin had scarcely finished making his final dispositions when his malady increased to a violent pitch Quote, on the fifth of march forty hours public prayers were ordered in all the churches of paris which is not generally done except in the case of kings says madame de motteville the cardinal had sent for M. Jolle, parish priest of Saint-Nicolas-des-Champs, a man of great reputation for piety, and begged him not to leave him. Quote, I have misgivings about not being sufficiently afraid of death, he said to his confessor. He felt his own pulse himself, muttering quite low, quote, I shall have a great deal more to suffer. The king had left him on the 7th of March in the evening. He did not see him again, and sent to summon the ministers. Already the living was taking the place of the dying, with a commencement of pomp and circumstance which excited wonder at the changes of the world. Quote, On the ninth, between two and three in the morning, Mazarin raised himself slightly in his bed, praying to God and suffering greatly. Then he said aloud, Ah, holy virgin, have pity upon me, receive my soul. And so he expired, showing a fair front to death up to the last moment. End quote. The queen-mother had left her room for the last two days, because it was too near that of the dying man. Quote, she wept less than the king, says Madame de Motteville, being more disgusted with the creatures of his making by reason of the knowledge she had of their imperfections, insomuch that it was soon easy to see that the defects of the dead man would before long appear to her greater than they had yet been in her eyes, for he did not content himself with exercising sovereign power over the whole realm, but he exercised it over the sovereigns themselves who had given it him, not leaving them liberty to dispose of anything of any consequence. Memoire de Madame de Motteville, page 103. Louis the Fourteenth was about to reign with a splendor and puissance without precedent. His subjects were submissive, and Europe at peace. 
He was reaping the fruits of the labours of his grandfather Henry the Fourth, of Cardinal Richelieu, and of Cardinal Mazarin. Whilst continuing the work of Henry the Fourth, Richelieu had rendered possible the government of Mazarin. He had set the kingly authority on foundations so strong that the princes of the blood themselves could not shake it. Mazarin had destroyed party and secured to France a glorious peace. Great minister had succeeded great king, and able man, great minister. Italian prudence, dexterity, and finesse had replaced the indomitable will, the incomparable judgment, and the grandeur of view of the French priest and nobleman. Richelieu and Mazarin had accomplished their patriotic work. The king's turn had come. End of section 43. End of chapter 43.